This morning is our first plenary workshop, and to lead it is Father John Braun. Uh, Father John uh, grew up in Southern California, uh, went to seminary at Fuller in Pasadena, graduating from North Park in Chicago. And uh, for years, uh, he and I and a number of the others were colleagues in Campus Crusade for Christ, where he served as the national field coordinator in the mid and late 60s. Uh, in coming into the archdiocese, he serves as the uh, chairman of the campus ministry department and uh, will talk to us this morning on the team apostolate, a concept of evangelism from the New Testament. Father John Braun. I'd like to start with a question this morning. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> it's a very long question, so you've got to hold on to this. <clears throat> what do Timothy of Derby, Silas of Jerusalem, <clears throat> Barnabas of Cyprus, Sopater of Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus of Thessalonica, Gaius of Derby, Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia, Epiphus of Colossae, Priscilla and Aquila of Rome, Onesimus of Colossae, Titus, probably of Antioch, Artemis, Zenus, Apollos of Alexandria, Luke, Mark, Erastus, probably from Corinth, Justus, Nympha. Now, I'm still on the question, so don't, you know, don't get lost here. We're still asking a question. Epaphroditus, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, the last three also from Corinth, Phoebe, at least in Rome, along with Andronicus, Junius, and Urbanus, what do all these 34 men and women have in common? They were all in one way missionaries, in a certain sense at least, but above all else, all of them were part of a team effort by St. Paul. In one way or another, all 34 of those are associated with him. Now, in varying degrees, to be sure. Now, I may not have them all, but I stumbled through the book of Acts and the epistles of St. Paul, and these were the names that I came up with. Now, when you read the 16th chapter of Romans, you go crazy when you try to figure out who really was associated with Paul and who wasn't, who knew him and who actually worked with him when he starts sending those greetings out. But without any question, the 34 that I read would in one measure or another be a part of a team. Now, I suppose team isn't the only word that could be used, and I rather doubt if that's the word that would have been used then. But the fact is, for today's purposes, we're going to talk about the concept of a team apostolate, uh, the concept of a team doing missions and evangelism. And I think before we're through, you'll be greatly encouraged because doing evangelism, doing missions by yourself is virtually impossible and frankly almost unheard of in the life of the Orthodox Church or in the history of Christianity in general. Now, there's a couple of interesting passages in the Scriptures that I would like to uh, begin with, just, you know, a little bit by way of motivation and also to prove a point. There's a very interesting passage in the Scriptures in Deuteronomy, uh, the 32nd chapter, the uh, 30th verse. And it, it goes like this. A few of you may know it. <clears throat> it's not one of those off-quoted passages from the Bible, but it's really interesting where... Moses says, one of you has chased a thousand, and two of you ten thousand. 
Now, I think that's great odds. If one can chase a thousand, but two, 10,000, we just up the ante by 10 times by adding one more person. Now, if you want a little more of a, uh, a reasonable, uh, not that I would question uh, what was in, in uh, uh, Deuteronomy, but there's another passage in Leviticus 26, 7 and 8, where um, at least uh, as many would have it, uh, and I personally think it's the same author, where, where Moses says, uh, and this is before the fact. Now, in Deuteronomy, he's recounting the thing. In Leviticus, it comes before. In fact, this is sort of interesting because uh, before the fact, it reads the way I'm going to read it now. After the fact, uh, it reads what I just read. Before the fact, he says, but you will chase your enemies. Now, I know that's not missions and evangelism, okay? I mean, chasing your enemies isn't missions. Uh, but at any rate, but you will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. Well, that's at least, uh, when he told about it beforehand, that's uh, uh, five take twenty, or one hundred get one hundred each. Now, that's pretty good. With just five, each one only gets twenty. But with a hundred, each one gets a hundred. Now, the only thing I'm really after this, and I don't think I'm stretching the point, there is great value in being together. There is great value in numbers. There is value to working together. And when it comes to the work of missions and evangelism, working together simply is extremely effective and it is more effective by far than working alone. If we needed other precedent besides the list I read from St. Paul, the, the list that we, or the, the incident or the circumstance that would be most profound and most important of all would be the circumstances surrounding our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is very obvious that he did not intend to see his gospel taken to the ends of the earth by, simply by individuals alone. His own method was to have a team. We call them the Twelve. And he worked with the Twelve. And when the Twelve stopped being all together as purely the Twelve being together in the same place, the records would make it very clear that the twelve also had others. And that when they once got out by themselves, they really weren't by themselves at all, but they were out there with what we are calling today a team. Now, there are some other circumstances in the Scriptures, too, uh, that I think are really interesting. One passage from the book of Acts that has always sort of intrigued me <clears throat> comes from the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, uh, in fact, there were many years when I, I spoke on this very often, but this is, the, this is the occasion after the stoning of Stephen and great persecution arose in the church in Jerusalem. And it says that all but the apostles uh, were scattered from Jerusalem. So here's what, let me read it to you from Acts 11, starting with verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. 
And there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And then the news about this got to Jerusalem, and Barnabas was sent to Antioch, and uh, he found out what was going on there, really liked it, saw that the hand of God had been moving in Antioch. So he went to Tarsus, got Paul, came back, and for a year they taught there. The point that I would like to make here is even in an unorganized movement arising because of persecution, still there is, we, we are not talking about individual people doing their evangelistic thing. What we are talking about is people living out the normal course of their life, but obviously living that out together because when Barnabas got there, there was a discernible group. There were people together. And obviously there was an effort, a a corporate effort that was being effective in the city of Antioch. And then, of course, uh, one of the more pertinent passages in the entire book of Acts as far as missions and evangelism is in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts where it says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now in a very real sense, what we've got in the leadership of the church in Antioch in these very early days is we have a team. We do not have simply a Barnabas who is leading the entire program by himself, though I would rather gather that he was a very important member of that team. And of course, St. Paul at this point wasn't a prominent member of the team, but he was teaching. Uh, As a matter of fact, he's still Saul. He is not yet Paul, but he's not on his own. Now, you remember, there is a part of St. Paul's life where we would, uh, as a Christian, where as far as we know, he was at least relatively alone, not just out on the desert, but after he came back from the desert and and went to Tarsus, the word was that he was proclaiming the gospel. But the interesting thing about the life of St. Paul, perhaps the greatest missionary in the history of the Christian church, the thing that is interesting about his evangelistic work is that when he was alone, he was apparently virtually ineffective. We find very little results from his life, even, even in, the, in the wildest traditions, the most fringe and peripheral traditions of the church. There is not, profound, a, there is not a report of a profound impact from his life until he is sent out from Antioch as an apostle and until, uh, amongst others, these 34 people uh, over a course of years gather around him. And uh, we'll get back to that 34, by the way, because all 34 are certainly not equal in what they do. They do very different things. Uh, But again, St. Paul's effectiveness would have been incredibly limited had he not been part of a team. Uh, himself, in many cases, being the leader of that team, though there appear to be others who also had significant roles of leadership. But my point in Acts chapter 13 is, even in this, in this great work in the city of Antioch, there is not just one person, but there is a team of people who are leading the effort and who are concerned most assuredly with missions 
in evangelism. I believe as you go through the history of the church, and uh, in a certain measure, Father Gabe may touch on some of these things, and this evening, I'm going to approach uh, uh, evangelism more from an historical perspective, so I'm going to leave a gap deliberately in here. But there will be opportunity to talk about uh, the history of the church and evangelism in the history of the church outside the scriptures. This morning, I wanted to start with the scriptures but uh, and to lay down the simple precept that, yes, there is cooperative evangelistic endeavor in the New Testament, and it is normative. And then this evening, we'll talk a lot more about it being uh, normative, normative also outside of the New Testament. Well, if one of you can chase a thousand and two ten thousand uh, after the fact, but gee, that's amazing, isn't it? He's told him before that five would chase twenty, and uh, uh, five, uh, five <laughs> with five you'd get twenty apiece, with a hundred you'd get a hundred apiece. But when he tells about it later, he said one of you chased a thousand, and two of you have chased ten thousand. So it actually came out better than it looked from the beginning. Well, <clears throat> let's try to apply some of this. Uh, to efforts in evangelism. I, I, I remember uh, back in, I think it was, yeah, it was the summer of 1961, uh, I was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, and I was assigned a project. And it was a project that, that turned out to be a complete failure. Now, the failure was, uh, I have to exonerate myself here, the failure really wasn't my fault. I had nothing to do with it. But I was assigned to a project that was going to take place in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all the address you need, you know. Uh, uh, but I, I was supposed to, to uh, be in charge of a project, but the project never developed. But they sent a staff. And uh, I had about nine young men and women who showed up from all around the United States. And they were supposed to be uh, on this project along with me for about two months. And so here I sat with my family and these nine uh, young men and women, some of whom were still in college, some just out of college, and I think one out of a theological seminary. And I had to do something with them for two months. This was my first experience at learning to work with a team. I had to make something happen. We couldn't just let them sit there and do nothing. So what we did is decide to go to work in the Twin Cities and in general in the, uh, the environs of Minneapolis and go out to various churches and work within churches. And my job was to train these nine people uh, in, in what we would call Protestant evangelical evangelism. And before I'm through tonight, I won't take a pot shot at Protestant evangelical evangelism, but you know, it really isn't the traditional evangelism of the church, nor is it the traditional evangelism of the New Testament. Now, my job was to train them in that particular vein, though, but what I discovered was the value of a team. Now, I had nine kids who were absolutely terrified. They were going to have to be with me now for two months, and they were going to have to talk out loud right in front of God and everybody about Jesus Christ. They were just going to have to do it. Now, that was what was going to happen. And only one of them had had any experience at all. And as he himself would say, when, when he got into the business of talking about Christ, his, teeth, his knees not only knocked, they missed. 
Now, I had these kind of people and was supposed to train them in order that they might learn to talk to people about Christ. Now, we didn't know how to talk about the church. In fact, in those days, we thought it was bad to talk about the church. We're not in the church. We're in the Christ. Well, it's a great line, but it's really not true, is it? But still, we saw what a team could do. Because what happened in the next two months is those nine young men and women became absolutely ferocious. I remember the first place I had to take them was to Duluth, Minnesota. And uh, by the way, I would like you to know I was also scared. I I hadn't been doing this kind of thing very long myself, and I'd certainly never been responsible for a team of young people like this. And um, I didn't feel all that comfortable. And I remember this is sort of crazy, and I probably shouldn't even tell you, but I will. Uh, The first thing we did, what's the lake there? What's the closest? Lake Superior. And we hadn't been in Duluth more than four or five hours uh, and just sort of gotten our act put together, and there was to be a swimming party uh, at a beach on Lake Superior. And I figured, well, might as well get started. Uh, Now, this is the value of a team because I I was plenty scared, and I really didn't want to start. But I knew that standing behind me there on the beach were nine people who were waiting to see what I was going to do. If I hadn't had those nine people, I know exactly what I would have done. I would have felt led of God to take a nap. (laughs) To sun myself on the beach and to get all the rays I possibly could, but I knew I'd better do something. So I remember, it was sort of funny, I stepped into the water. You know, I guess sort of like the children of Israel when they, uh, you know, when they got to the Jordan, they had to put their pinkies in the water. Uh, you know, when they, when they got to the Red Sea, it opened for them before they got their feet in the water. But at the Jordan, they had to get their feet in the water before it would open. Well, I guess I had to get my feet in the water literally, but I remember getting in the water, and there just happened to be a, a girl standing there. And I just sucked it all up, and I said, <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, what I really came here to do was to talk to, about, talk to people about Jesus Christ, so I suppose the best place to start is to start right here with you. And, you know, we really had a very interesting conversation, and I found myself greatly encouraged by having this team, but I also discovered that virtually every one of those nine kids was standing back there watching me to see what I was going to do, but once they saw it done, then they were encouraged to do it, and even before we left that beach that day, most of them had initiated a conversation with another one of these kids. Now, these were mostly kids from the First Presbyterian Church of Duluth, Minnesota, though there were some kids who came to that beach party who uh, didn't frequent church at all or very, very rarely. But there was a very interesting time even before we left because even within a period of just a couple of hours, the fact of being together as a team, and we understood ourselves as that, had an influence on the boldness of each one of us and raised the expectation level of each person on that team, the expectation level of what could happen uh, within each one of those persons, that level was raised to a much greater power, and there was a significant impact. The next day, we decided we'd try them door to door. Uh, This happened to be uh, we associated ourselves there uh, with the invitation of the the First Presbyterian Church of Duluth. So there was nothing uh, uh, 
subversive about the effort, but we did go out from door to door, visiting in the neighborhood of that particular church, and the truth is that those nine people uh, and myself, the ten of us together, did see people from the neighborhood who had not been attending church, changed their mind, come, and some of them actually did become a part of, the, of that church in Duluth. Now, uh, again, I wouldn't say that this was the greatest effort ever made, and I, I wouldn't say this is exactly what we always want to do, but <clears throat> the truth is, there was an impact that was made with a team, and each person on the team was encouraged. And in later years, I think at least uh, four or five of those people uh, went into some form of Christian work. And as far as I know, I can think of at least three that come to my mind right now that are in some form of, of ministry in some church somewhere. Unfortunately, none of them are, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. But no, I'll betray myself. Some of them haven't converted. And, you know, uh, if you want to know the truth, Oh, I hate to say this, but I just wish the whole world would convert to the Orthodox Church. Now, doesn't that sound like a convert? Now, you Episcopalians that are here, will you forgive me? <laughs> and who's that covenant? Was there a covenant minister here? Where are you? Where, how did you ever get here? Lordy mercy. I can't believe it. Now, did you? are you in the Evangelical Covenant Church? Oh, okay, okay, well, you, there, is, there, is, there is yet room at the cross for you. Uh, <laughs> now, I thought maybe it would be the Evangelical Covenant Church. Now, that's where I came from. Well, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of things that can be done with teams. Probably the most fun I ever had at a team was something that Father Peter and I did one day. Uh, this is just, uh, 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 now, I'm, I'm going to describe something that, We'd have to admit, never did happen before and never happened again in exactly the same way. But one morning, uh, I don't even remember the year, uh, Father Peter and I got up and uh, gathered together. I think there were about three or four of us, weren't there? <clears throat> and we went up to La Crosse, Wisconsin. Now, I'd never been in La Crosse in my life. Had you been? Uh, this was going to be a brand new effort, and we were going to launch the work of Campus Crusade for Christ at, uh, what's the university there? University of Wisconsin La Crosse. Okay, so we got up there and we got to uh, La Crosse about 11:30 in the morning. Now, as those of you who attend some of the campus ministry sessions will find out, there's some very special things you must do when you're involved in campus ministry. And one thing you don't do is go to a campus and start uh, evangelizing. That's what you don't do. What you have to do first is get permission to be on the campus or you'll find yourself off the campus rather permanently. Now, before very long, because most universities very thankfully have regulations on who can be on the campus and who can be uh, doing their preaching thing or their, uh, uh, their teaching thing or whatever, their religious thing on campus. I mean, every nut on earth wants to go to campus. And for goodness sakes, we do want our children halfway protected, at least from some of the, the loony bins out there. And so the first thing you have to do is to go get permission to be there. And so uh, we chased around. And, and by the way, a team effort was really important here, even in finding the right people. <clears throat> but I think we had permission to be on campus by about 12. We somehow found uh, a dean who was in charge. Uh, uh, it, how, why she happened to be there at the time, I'm not quite sure. I think maybe God made an appointment for us. But the, the dean we had to see was available. And I think by 12 or 12.15, we had permission to be on campus. 
And we were going to have a meeting, I think it was at 9 o'clock that night, in the cafeteria. Now, this is really crazy. I don't know. It was probably Father Peter's fault. I would never have attempted something like this. But you have to be as dumb as he is in order to want to try something like this. So, I mean, we're going to go to a campus. We don't know anybody. We've got one or two people with us, and we're going to have a meeting by 9 o'clock at night. And, you know, you can't, have a, you can't have a dingly little meeting. I mean, you know, when you get to a campus, you can't have three or four people and, uh, and call it a successful meeting because the kids that come will consider it a total failure. Well, <clears throat> we got to hustling uh, at about 12, 15, 12, 30 in, in the dining room. And fortunately, somehow, we, we hit into a pocket of, as I recall, it was a bunch of sorority girls. And uh, they sort of got the idea that this might be a good thing to have this meeting. And then that we ran in, obviously, if you run into some sorority girls, you're going to find some fraternity guys hovering. And so uh, <laughs> we, we got into that group. And uh, before the afternoon was over, we had talked to the track team. Uh, met the, the track coach, and, and he invited us to speak to the track team. This was in the spring. And we met the baseball coach, and he invited us to speak to the baseball team. And for the life of me, I don't remember all we did, uh, but I know we were hustling, and we were hustling as a team. And by the time that 9, th- uh, nine o'clock at night came, how many people actually were? It must, I think it was about three or 400 kids. I mean, it was incredible. It can't be done. It cannot be done. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was closer to 500 that showed up by 9 o'clock at night. And, I mean, that wasn't a huge campus in those days. I, I imagine it's rather large now. The fact is, <clears throat> when you work together as a team, things can really move, and it's very encouraging. Now, we didn't do everything together. You know, we broke up, and Father Peter did one thing, and there was a fellow named Jim Green, and he did some other things, and, and I think we had one or two more with us on that. But the fact is, even as we moved about the campus, before, I'll promise you, before 9 o'clock at night came, they knew who we were, and they knew we were all together, and that's really important. They knew we were all together. We were encouraged, but the people to whom we went were encouraged because they saw not just one coming at them, but they saw five coming at them together. I remember there was another time we went to, many, uh, to, to Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, some of you who don't know how to speak, speak English would say that you went to Knoxville, Tennessee. But that shows you don't know much because you don't go to Knoxville, you go to Knoxville. And we went to Knoxville, Tennessee, to the University of Tennessee. And again, we went with a team. And there were some really exciting things that took place there. And, you know, you get bold when you, when you get together as a team. You sort of egg, egg each other on. If you live in Southern California, you hear, you hear a lot about gangs. Now, we're not talking about a gang today. Not quite. Not quite. Just close. Uh, a lot of gang violence in L.A. Well, <clears throat> uh, but, you, you know, one of, the, one of the dynamics, one of the psychological dynamics of a gang is to get... Uh, is, that, is that people are encouraged in many cases to do things they shouldn't do, things they wouldn't normally have done, but they'll take risks that they wouldn't take if they were alone. Well, at Knoxville, we learned to take some risks that we wouldn't have taken if we were alone. One of the funniest things I remember there, and the most fun things was, you know, we used to do a lot of speaking in fraternities and sororities. So one night about 5.30, Father Peter and I, Father Peter and I decided we'd speak in the... Uh, and we decided that we were going to speak in the Sigma Chi house that night at 6 o'clock. So we went over to the Sigma Chi house, and we got there about quarter to six, and dinner was at six. 
And so we asked for the president of the house, and we said that we'd come to speak at the Sigma Chi house that night. Uh, that uh, we, this was the only night we had available. It was the only night that could possibly be done. And what we'd like to do is stay for dinner, and then right after dinner, we'd speak to the guys at the table. And then we now this is crazy. I mean, this is insane uh, to do it this way. And, and the truth is, we didn't do it often. But I think we really did egg each other on a little bit. Uh, in fact, I'd say we egged each on, egged each other along a lot. Because when you're together, you will do things that you wouldn't try normally. You'll have faith that you wouldn't have normally. You say, isn't it enough to have faith just in Christ? The fact is, in the Christian church, you don't have faith just in Christ because if you're in His church, you're part of the body of Christ. And if you start separating Christ from His body, you've fallen into a heresy. And so we find when we join together in a team in the church, we are, being, we are actually being encouraged by Christ. And our faith is being built by being a part of a team within the church. And again, we'll have much more to say about these things this evening. Well, how does that affect us? What's practical about a team thing? What's practical at a conference on missions and evangelism? What's practical about a team? You need to be a part of a team in some way or another. One of the most cruel things I can think of is to put a parish priest out in a parish and expect him to evangelize by himself. I just don't see how it can be done. I really don't. I don't understand how many priests actually survive. I don't know how some have done it. Father Gabe's going to describe uh, some of the work that he's done. I don't see how he's done it. I don't think anyone will ever ultimately be successful in the work of missions and evangelism without either locally or on a broader level being a part of a team. And what we're going to talk specifically about today is a team effort that many of you may choose to participate in. Let me describe a team approach within orthodoxy that we are very, very excited about. What is proposed is the establishment of a team perhaps not all that dissimilar to that which I read of this morning from St. Paul, where in at least one case, Epaphroditus, it would appear all that he ever did was deliver a letter. But apparently, it was really important that the letter be delivered. There are others on that team. Perhaps all they ever did was copy letters. Basically, an amanuensis, a secretary. Maybe the one who wrote Colossians or Philemon. We don't know, but we know that they probably weren't penned by the hand of St. Paul himself. But he had a secretary who penned them. And there were those who taught and those who preached. But there were some like St. Luke who apparently didn't do a whole lot. Because if you recall in Thessalonica, when St. Paul and Silas got in so much trouble and ended up in prison, that Luke wasn't in prison. And for one reason or another, he and Timothy got out of trouble, and Paul and Silas got into trouble. So apparently, they weren't all doing the same thing, or they all would have been put in prison. So there was a great deal of variety. We were proposing a team. Now, first of all, it's a team uh, that would be made up of people who are trained to do specific things. Some of you 
already know how to do those things, but some of you would like to know how to do some things better. Some of you would like to know, how do I actually talk to a person about becoming a part of the Orthodox faith? Some of you might say, I am scared to death. Never in my whole life will I ever talk about to anybody about Christ or his church. I just can't do it. Okay, okay. But there's things you can do. There are things to be done on a team besides talking. Now, uh, there, there, there are telephones to be manned. There are arrangements to be made. And I'll get into some of these things in a few moments. But the fact is, what we want to do is to be able to go to a city. Let's say we pick a city. Uh, take any city. Let, let's just say Kansas City. Now, there's a priest here from Kansas City, as I recall. Is there not? I just chose Kansas City off the top of the deck. Um, now, it's discouraging to be all alone in Kansas City, I would imagine. But uh, let's say that on a given week, the word for a given week, the word has gone out that, there, that we're going to make an effort in Kansas City. And let's say that we have a team total of about, oh, let's just say 60 people, okay? 60 people that are, in, that are part of a team. And let's say the word goes out to those 60 people, as many as possible. We want you to come to Kansas City on February 19th to the 26th or as many days within that as possible. Send back word immediately. How many of you can come? Now, let's say out of the 60 that 27 can come. Because the truth is not everybody on a team can come to everything that's done. It just isn't possible. So what we have to do is to take who is available for those times. I think that's why there's so many in that list of 34. For one thing, I know Aristarchus didn't go on every team effort that St. Paul had because Aristarchus spent a good part of his time in prison. So I'm sure he missed a couple of cities along the way. We also know that Luke missed some of the cities along the way because he was left in certain places to take care of, of uh, what some would call follow-up. He had to do some establishing uh, of, the, of the new disciples in various places. And we know that later on in St. Paul's ministry, he was moving people around. Timothy, you go there. Titus, you go there. Epaphras, you go here. Uh, send Apollos here if he will. You know, various things being done. Okay, so we get as many as possible to come to a city. And let's say that Father gets, he's all primed for us. He's already, we don't come sneaking in on you and say, hey, we're here. But you're a part of the whole decision process before it happens. And we're all ready to go. But then when we get to town, there are those, and by the way, this is important. There needs to be not just laity, there must be clergy on these teams. Or should I say it the other way around? There must not be just clergy on these teams. There must be lay people on these teams. But maybe one of the first things we do, in fact, it's one of the first things I would think of doing in any city where we want to present the Orthodox faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is as it is known in, in, our, in our church, one of the first things we would do would be to go to the clergy, go to the clergy association. I think the last time that I did that particular thing, Father Gordon and I uh, went to one clergy meeting, and I think Father Richard and who went with you to the other, uh, was it you? It was Father Peter and Father Richard went to another, the same day, I think, we both went to two different clergy associations that happened to be in Salt Lake City. And um, uh, as far as I know, there are, uh, there's at least one or two that, that, that have converted to the Orthodox Church from those meetings. 
and still the possibility of a whole church converting as a result of those meetings. So you, 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 know, you say, well, you go to the clergy association and, and go with the express purpose of, of talking about the Orthodox faith, knowing that somebody might convert? Well, of course. I mean, what do you think we're out there for? I mean, to share precious Bible verses together? No. And that's why the team, you know, when it's one-on-one, it's sort of equal. But, you know, like Father Gordon, one tastes 1,000 and two 10,000. Well, we may not get our 10, but we may get 100 or two, huh? Uh, but sure, we're out there. You say, well, do you really think you ought to try to convert people? Well, of course. I mean, you know, St. Paul was the greatest proselytizer in the history of the Christian church, perhaps, right? Where did he start almost all of his work? In the synagogue. Ripping off synagogues. Shame on him. Shame de shame. And after the third one, do you think he didn't know what was going to happen? I mean, he knew exactly what was going to take place. You know, and he and Barnabas or he and Silas and Timothy. Can you see him walking in just sort of smirking as they walked into the synagogue, you know, in Corinth, knowing good and well that before very long the whole place was going to explode and there was going to be a war and they'd probably end up in prison one way or another or get run out of town on a rail, but a church left behind. Sure, we're going to go for converts. So some go to visit the clergy association, one of the best places to start. If there's a theological seminary in town, someone has to go to the seminaries. Not just someone, but some ones. It's no fun to go to seminary alone. You want to go together. No, it's fun to go at any time. I like to do that. Uh, uh, Someone needs to go to the telephone directory and figure out what names. How much time do I have? Seven or eight minutes. You cheated. (laughs) Someone needs to go to the telephone directory and to look for those names that sound very traditionally orthodox. And maybe you're chicken to go visit them or to call them, but someone else needs to go call them and someone else needs to go visit them and say, Mrs. Gavanovich. We'd like to talk to you. (laughs) We're going to have a meeting Thursday night at so-and-so's house. We're going to talk about the Orthodox faith. Do you have an Orthodox background? It it works. There are parishes in this country that exist because somebody went through the telephone directory and found out who uh, had names that are typically Orthodox. Someone needs to go to the college campus and meet with the deans and meet with the people in charge of student affairs and meet with students And we've got some very exciting ways of meeting students on campus. We need people uh, to contact junior high, high school kids, because you're never going to have an effective mission work in a city unless you get to people's kids. As a matter of fact, I can't think of anything really ultimately more effective in convincing someone that he or she ought to become a part of a church than to say it's because you're a kid really wants to be involved because almost everyone wants his or her children to be involved in a church. And then if we minister to their kids, we're going to have an opportunity to minister to the moms and dads. But someone's got to go see the kids, and some of you may be petrified to talk to adults, but some of you are just really good at talking to kids. And so we need people who can go talk to kids. We need people who will sit down on the telephone 
maybe you haven't got the disposition that says you can talk face-to-face, but maybe you've got the disposition where you can pick up the telephone and just make a telephone contact and say, we're going to have a divine liturgy on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and it's going to be the first one that this mission is going to have, and we're starting a brand new mission in this community, uh, and we'd like to invite you to come. And that does work. And it may not work always on the first time, but then you've got the second and the third. And then there are people to contact the newspapers and people to contact the radio and people to contact the telephone. There are people who go contact the Rotary, the Kiwanis, uh, the Junior League. The service clubs are a very important place to go in a community. There are people who are needed to drive. There are people needed to do secretarial work. These things are just the beginnings. So how are we going to get a team together? What do you do? What has to take place? Number one, you've got to have people that are trained. Won't work unless people are trained. You've got to be able to arrive in a city and you can't train people on a team when you get to the city. They've got to be trained before they get there. We've got to be able to have 27 people or maybe it's 17 or maybe it's 7 or maybe it's only 5. Maybe we'll have five teams going at a time in different parts of the country as time goes by. But people have to know what they're going to do when they get there and the slots need to be filled. And so you get there and you know how to start and time isn't wasted spinning wheels or wondering, now what are we going to do first? We know what to do first. I believe it's very clear in the history of the church from the New Testament on that those who did the work of missions and evangelism knew what they were going to do very shortly. It took them maybe a little while to get the first part of the program, but once they got it down, they knew what they were going to do when they arrived in a new city and a new scene. So number one, there needs to be training. Number two, there needs to be an application because not just anyone in the world can show up on a team. There's got to be a concrete limit. There have got to be parameters to a team. You can't have just anyone showing up. We were talking at the table this morning, and uh, we got into the discussion of the lunatic fringe in orthodoxy. Do you know what I mean? That's something that I had to learn when I first got into the or- acquainted with anything about orthodoxy. There's that fringe that hangs around the edge like parasites praying. And they'll show up anywhere they can if they can get in a word edgewise. And you can't afford to be going to a city and working on a team effort and have someone in who's pushing uh, some special program of his or hers rather than Christ and the church or some loony bin thing, uh, some deep, dark thing that hasn't surfaced for a thousand years, some strange lost order that we finally found. Uh, so there's got to be a, a, a team. It's got to be concrete. Uh, there's got to be an acceptance to be a part of that team. Uh, thirdly, there's got to be a commitment on the part of the team members. How many times a year would you need to come? Well, for goodness sakes, at least hopefully once. Now, there's a lot of priests that I'm sure couldn't come more than one time. And, and believe me, priests are absolutely imperative to a team like this. There's lay people that could come more than once. The fact is, people are needed to come. And the truth is, for the most part, you'd have to float your own expense. Now, maybe in the case of the clergy, that can be worked out because maybe there's clergy that couldn't work it. But, you know, we don't have to go 10,000 miles from home either. We don't have to fly from Seattle to to Miami to do a a team thing. There are reasonable ways of doing this. But when you go to start a brand new work, there's not a lot of money overflowing. 
and so it would be we both most of us would have to be responsible to get ourselves there do you get a picture do you get an idea of what could be done if people get together orthodox people getting together last night father peter said we're, we're passing the barrier we're, we're, we're no longer will orthodoxy be the best kept secret in america personally i think it's great that it's been kept a secret this long because now it's a mystery and people like to hear a mystery and they want to hear something new, and they want to hear something different, and we are new and different. We may be the oldest thing on the block, but we're also new. There's a great opportunity in being part of a team, not just on a level that goes way out, but we'll talk more even as the weekend goes about what a team can do, even in a local parish, a team that works together to help the priest to work together, even on a city level, so that many people can be brought to Christ and his church. Well, let's go after it and get some of that training as the weekend goes by.